I almost feel we could just stop there, you know? <laughs> There's a lot in there. Um, yeah, I love that. At the end there, I said, you know, maybe the day will come where we'll get to, you know, go and serve in Canada. And that happened like two weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, that was filmed in August, I'll say, last year. So, uh, yeah, the Lord is good. At that time, I, I'll be honest, in August, there would have been zero open door to take a team from here to serve in a Canadian church. And so now, six months later, it's actually already happened. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, so I'm super excited to, to share with us today. And really what the Lord has laid on my heart is something we've been working on here in Joshua Generation Musenberg since the beginning of the year. So we were only planted as a congregation less than two years ago. Um, in the middle of COVID, I think the official kickoff was like October 2020. We maybe started meeting a month or two before that. So as a congregation, we are still very young. And because of COVID and all the restrictions, we have not regularly gotten together with the larger church we're a part of. So we're one little arm here, but there's, I think, 45 other congregations just in Joshua Generation, just in our church, meeting around the city and in the Western Cape. And one of the things, because of COVID, not allowing us to get together with others has means we're growing, we're excited what the Lord is doing in Musenberg, but we're getting less opportunity to short sort of rub shoulders and yeah, build relationship and be part of the wider movement of God in our church. So since the beginning of the year, Dylan, who leads our congregation, he's on leave right now for those that are in visitors, but he'll be back next week. Um, he has had it on his heart for us to just talk about what are some of our core values? What, is, what has God really put into the DNA of us in our church? And that's really what led me to, to wanting to talk about this topic of what is the role and ministry of an apostle today. Because this is an absolute core value in our church. And as you can hopefully see in the video, just a few years ago, I would have been on a different side of this fence. So for me, this is also just something that the Lord has done in my life, helping me to grow, be willing to grapple with scriptures, and change how I view this gift functioning. So, in a sense, I'm going to be talking a little more today from a, a teaching perspective, wanting us to grow in knowledge. And I maybe want to start there and just say it's actually an important pursuit in faith to want to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. So for some of you, you might say, I, I'm never going to be an apostle. I don't really need to learn about this stuff. I want to say from the beginning, actually, you do need to learn about this stuff. First, we live in a world that is becoming more and more anti-Christian all the time. Plus, if we are going to effectively, when we sit down with our family, when we sit down with our colleagues, our neighbors, if we're going to effectively be able to share what we believe, how our church functions, we need to understand the core values, the foundations of our church. I think it was just a couple weeks ago, Blake was sharing with me that, you know, he he's regularly has lunch with his family, and they're like all unsaved, am I right? And they often ask you guys questions. There you go, 21 questions every Sunday night. So, for all of us, it is critical that we understand and know 
the core values, the foundations of the church that we're in. So I want to start actually with a verse that talks about growing in our knowledge, which is Colossians 1 verse 9. It says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, so Paul is writing here, and he's writing to this church that he actually didn't directly plant. Okay, So he's not personally been with this church before. But he's saying, since the day we heard about you, you, this church, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul the Apostle, he's praying for this church. And what is he praying? He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So Paul is writing to this church, and he is praying for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. In many ways, that is my prayer for us today, that as a church, through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for us as a church. That every one of us would know, would have a sense of their role to play in what God is calling us as a church to accomplish for his kingdom. Amen? I need some amens. That's right. I was in Philippi this morning. <laughs> and I think it's critical as well that we lay solid foundations, that we know why we believe what we hold as a church. And I want to give an example of that. When I was about 16 years old, on some uh, Friday night, I'm sitting at home. We just had like farmer vision. And uh, I think actually it's this thing here too. You guys say farmer vision too, right? No, blanks. Okay. Um, farmer vision means you're too poor to uh, get DSTV. And so you just have like three channels. <laughs> and so it's farmer vision. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. You know, cultural interpretation right there. Um, I actually grew up on a farm, so it was applicable to us. Um, so anyways, I'm 16. It's like a Friday night. I'm sitting at home. And I find a movie on. And I start watching this movie. And in this movie, um, it's about this older fellow and kind of just the, the struggle at the end of his life. And as the movie progresses, he gets sicker and physically is, is dying. But he's in pain and he's in agony. And so he's asked for a while the nurse to end his life. And she is refused. And the movie closes with the nurse in an, well, the movie presented it as a loving act going and injecting something in his little IV bottle to put an end for his life. And he dies there at the end. And the movie finishes, and I comment to my mom. I say, yeah, that is, that is so good that, uh, you know, people get to choose when to end their life. Oh, my mom like, <laughs> She's like, wake up, son. <laughs> um, you've watched a two-hour presentation, and in two hours, your perspective on life and death has swung to what Hollywood has tried to sell you. And I realized, well, oh, I have actually. <laughs> and she patiently went through me and helped me to understand what is God's view of the sanctity of life. Who is the author of life? Who brings life and who takes life away? And that was an important lesson for me because I realized how easily without a solid foundation on a particular theology, I was deceived. And I was deceived in two hours. <laughs> That's all it took. One well-written movie. So, <laughs> we want to be a church that is mature. 
We want to see everyone in our church attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That verse will come up in a second. But that is what we're aiming for. And the verse directly after that is Ephesians 4.14. And it says this, Then, speaking of the believers, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That was me. I I was blown away by the cunning and craftiness of a well-presented movie. And so I think it's significant that we don't just think, ah, something about theology, what difference does it make to my life? It's actually very, very important. And this scripture, it comes in Ephesians chapter 4. Now you've, I've got the t-shirt on here and everything, F12, you know. Um, <laughs> it's 412 is the name of the wider partnership of churches that our church, Joshua Generation, is a part of. So in 412, Joshua Generation is one church among many. Um, We're in maybe, I don't know, 15 or 17 countries, something like that. There's hundreds of churches around the world that are working together. So that is where that scripture comes from. 412 is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. So just two verses before the one on the screen. And the reason I want to highlight that is it's actually in the truth that's carried in our name that's going to allow us to no longer be infants who are tossed to and fro by the waves and by the winds and the move of doctrine. So let's, I want us to go through that passage a little bit and just understand what, what is it about 412? What is it about the truth that God has in that scripture that can help us set a foundation in our lives that is solid, that is strong? So, um, yeah, let's go through Ephesians 4 a little bit, starting in verse 7. So verse 7 says to us, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Okay, so Paul here, he's writing to the church, and he's saying to each one of us, so he's including himself and the church and the people in the church, to all of us, grace has been given. And that word grace, other translations will say a special gift. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. That's a very simple definition of grace. It's getting something you don't deserve. It's a gift of God. And so God has given us grace as he apportioned it. So it's his decision as to who gets what gift. But every one of us has a gift that Christ has given us. Okay, so that's verse 7. Then we're going to skip just a couple verses forward to verse 11. Here, verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Okay, so these are five of the gifts that God has given to the church. There's many others, but these are five that are in in this passage, and this passage works with, and we often refer to them as, as the fivefold ministry. So God has given these gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. It's a bit like um, baking, or, or if someone, if God has a recipe in baking, my wife is looking at me strangely, if God wanted to make a cake, 
And he gave a recipe for how to make that cake. He would add some oil, probably, some eggs, some flour, some sugar, baking powder. You might need others to help you know some of the things that are needed. But the point is, if you take out one of the ingredients, the cake isn't going to turn out as you want it to. Each ingredient carries something to make that cake become what it ought to be. And it's the same thing in the church. God has given these gifts. And if we build the church without the gifts that God has given, it's like taking his recipe and then scratch. I don't really want that one in there. We'll scrap eggs. And who knows what the outcome of that is going to be. So we need each one of these gifts. And then what are these gifts? What is their role? What are they called to do? Verse 12. So this is 412. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, we are very intentionally called 412 as a group of churches and not 411. So 411 was God has given these gifts to the church. But God has not given five superstar gifts to the church that are to be the emphasis and the focus. No, he's given gifts to the church. But the point of the gifts is to equip the saints, it's to equip every believer, every single person who's been born again as a son and daughter of God, it needs to be working together with these gifts. There should not be a separation between these gifts and between us as the believers. Every believer ought to be impacted through, specifically today we're looking at the ministry of the apostles, every single believer ought to be being impacted through the ministry, through the gift of apostles. And not only do we need them all to function, but if we're going to get to that place of attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, we're going to need all of them. And so we want to be intentional about bringing in gifts to serve, to equip, to train, to teach, so that each one of us can become all that God has for us. <laughs> and it's critical that this doesn't stop. This isn't something we're going to accomplish now in the month of April. <laughs> this is something that's going to continue until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, for me, if I go back seven, eight years, I believed the apostles were a legit gift, but they ended 2,000 years ago. And for me, this is one of the key scriptures that helped just challenge my thinking on that because, as it says, they are to keep serving until what is clearly not attained yet. And in fact, will only be attained when Christ returns. And it's important for us to know that and to see it in the scriptures because today, let's be honest, there are, not every church has apostles serving in their church. And some might say to you, no, they, they ended 2,000 years ago. And so it's important for us to know from the word 
why do we still have the ministry of apostles serving today? And so that's an important scripture for us in that. Yeah, and I want to shift now and just kind of talk a little bit about what does, kind of, now we started with, we need these gifts, but then what does the gift, specifically the gift, gift of the apostolic, what is their role? How do apostles serve today? And this is critical, you don't, I think I saw Renee here before, but she must be with the kids in the back. Some of you may have seen on Friday, Renee won some kind of a contest. And she was given this sweet old school bicycle as a prize. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, she did. For, for all I know, it's parked back there. She might have rode to church on it. Um, but the point being, she received an amazing gift on Friday of a, a new bicycle. But if she takes that bike, how many of you have ever been to the back of Wayne's shop shed? <laughs> if she takes that bicycle and she puts it in the back of Wayne's shop, shed, garage, whatever that thing is called, will that bicycle be of any use or service to her? No. It's a completely useless gift <laughs> if that is where it is put. The gift is only helpful if it's used. And it's the same thing with the gift of the apostolic. The gift is only helpful if we're going to use it. If we're going to use it for all that God intended for it to be used for. So how does this gift work? How do apostles serve? And there's kind of four things I want to share about how apostles serve. There's many more things that could be said on this topic. But uh, yeah, these are the four that I felt the Lord wanted me to highlight for today. So the first way that apostles serve is that they serve on team. They serve in plurality. And they serve in team in a, a few, three significant ways. They serve in team together with other apostles. So they're on team with other apostles. They serve in team together with the other fivefold gifts of ministry. And they also serve in team together working with the local elders that are leading congregations. So in the New Testament, there is not one team of elders that is functioning outside of working with someone who's serving as an apostle. Every local team of elders is working together with someone who is functioning as an apostle. Then we see that the apostles are not working by themselves. They're working together with the fivefold ministry, with prophets, with evangelists, with pastors and teachers. Um, and we also see that they are regularly working together with one another, with other apostles. And this is done in mutual submission. And I want us to see an example of this. In Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul is writing. And this is what he says. So he's writing to this church. And he says, I, Paul, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Okay, so Paul's saying he has gone in response to a revelation and set before them, speaking of the apostles who are serving in Jerusalem, that I and he's putting before them the gospel that he preaches among the Gentiles. But I spoke privately to those who were recognized as leaders for fear that I was running or had already run in vain. So at this point, Paul has already gone and planted churches. He's already serving as an apostle. Christ has already appeared to him. And he didn't know if it was him directly in the body or out of the body. It's an interesting passage. But 
The point is he's already serving in the authority and anointing of an apostle. And yet he says, I came and basically I held the gospel I was preaching in open hands before the other apostles in Jerusalem to make sure that I was not preaching in vain. He wanted to make sure that if they had anything to add, if they had anything to correct, if they had anything to change about the gospel he was preaching, that he was coming in humility. He was positioning himself in submission to the other apostles who were leading in the church in Jerusalem. And so there's something significant there. Apostles serve on a team, but they serve in mutual submission. And we even see this in God himself. God is team. He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. And how do they serve one another? They serve in love and mutual submission, not lording it over one another. And so that is the model of team that we see in leadership throughout the, the New Testament. Yeah, so there's both a sense of mutual submission, there's also a sense of accountability. Paul is open. He's saying, and actually they respond to him and say, the only thing we want to emphasize is don't forget the poor. And he says, that's the very thing I was eager to do. So there's a sense of he's, he's accountable to them. He's not working outside of them. His, his, his ministry isn't on its own. It is working together with others. And so in a similar way in 412, we have a team who serve as apostles in 412. There's one guy who leads the team. But he is regularly working in submission with the others as well. And the other thing I want us to highlight here in this aspect of team is just the importance of our posture. Well, Julian shared before the importance, of, uh, actually he gave a little picture in, in our prayer time at the beginning of a low pressure system. And how, oh yeah, okay. And how important it is that when we come before the Lord, we come in humility. We come low. And it's up to the Lord to lift us up. But we come, and we come in humility, and we come low. And the apostles in the New Testament, they consistently were the greatest servants. That's even how they approached one another. You know, Paul says it's like we put us on a display at the end of a parade. You know, we're being laughed at and mocked. We're at the back of the room. And a bit of a challenge that we have today is because the apostles also serve in a leadership role, we take a leadership model from the world and we kind of elevate. But that's actually not what we see in the scriptures. And in fact, that's, that's a very dangerous thing. <laughs> you should be very cautious about saying, I want to serve as an apostle. In the New Testament... 11 of the 12 were martyred. So is that really the company you want to keep? Weigh that heavily. <laughs> no, no. No, none of them asked. They were appointed by the Lord. But this thing today where the apostles in certain movements become these big men who are high and who are mighty and who are living with private jets and luxury, it's just extraordinarily different than what we see in the New Testament. And my point in mentioning that is not to knock other people down, but my point is to say we want to base 
and because this is common in our world, but we want to base in our church how people serve based on what we see in Scripture. And so uh, that's why I want to recognize that distinction. And as Ross correctly said, like the apostles were recognized. They, they were, the people took note, the Lord has ordained this person for this ministry. So first, how do apostles serve? They serve on team. And in that team, there's a humility, there's a mutual submission, there's an accountability. That's the first thing I want us to see. The second way that apostles serve is they serve over a field of churches or, or over a sphere of influence. These are two different New Testament descriptions. So the first one we'll see in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says to them, for we are God's fellow workers. He's speaking about him and Apollos and Peter. You are God's field or God's building. So he's writing to the church and he's saying, you are part of God's field. And God has entrusted us to lead, to serve over this field. But you are God's field. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 13 says, we, again, Paul speaking, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field that God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. Okay, so Paul is saying, we will not boast, we will not talk about beyond proper limits, beyond the, the actually the, the word is, it means a boundary line. We will not boast beyond this boundary line, but we will confine our boasting to the field that God has assigned to us, and it's a field that reaches to you. So we see something significant here. Paul is not responsible for all churches everywhere. Paul is responsible for the churches that the Lord has assigned to him. So Paul couldn't just walk into some other church and say, ah, I'm the Apostle Paul, you know, you guys all have to listen to me. No, he was given a field by God, an area of authority by God that he led, that he served, that he ministered in. But someone else, God has given responsibility to lead another field. So for us in 412, we are a field of churches. So if you want to know why we sometimes use that language, this is the scriptures that it comes from when we describe ourselves as a field of churches. And in this field of churches, we are intentionally partnering together. Paul writes to the Philippians, you became my partners in the gospel. So we are working together in partnership. And like this morning, we want to be regularly sending teams to go and build and minister and equip other believers in other congregations. Likewise, we want to receive gifts and teams to come and minister and equip and build into us. You know, as a young guy, when I was, you know, let's say a teenager in my 20s, reading through the New Testament, I would kind of often skip the last half chapter of most of the books, or like Romans 16, I'd just kind of skim read the whole thing. Why? Almost every book in the New Testament, the last part of the book, is just like all these Greek names of this guy's going to this Greek city and this guy's going to this Greek city, and they're being sent all over the place. But if you don't know the names and you don't know the cities, it's not the easiest reading. But what we see there very plainly is that every church is involved with both sending and receiving gifts, 
teams of believers inside the field that God has assigned to Paul so that they can grow unto maturity in Christ. Yeah, so that is a huge thing for us. And so it is very exciting to us to say, hey, who wants to go and serve and give opportunity to go and serve into the nations? Because the Great Commission is obviously a lot bigger than Cape Town. <laughs> so apostles serve on team. They serve over a field of churches. And they serve with authority to build up. They serve with authority to build up. And the scripture I want to share on this is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 8. It says, For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord has given us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. And he repeats pretty much the identical phrase three chapters later. Um, but you can see Paul is saying he has been given authority, but his authority into the church is to build up the church. An apostle looks to a church and he says, how can I build up this church to be everything that Christ wants her to be? Christ wants the church to be. Um, yeah, we want to see churches that are filled with believers who have been equipped. They know their gifting and they're actively serving in the call that God has on their life. We want to see every single believer here in Musenberg on fire for the Lord. And we want to use the gifts that God has given to grow one another into that maturity. We see something similar in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. It says, Paul's writing again, he says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. A significant part of the gift of the apostolic is to be able to look at a church to see that which is lacking, to see areas of weakness, and then to know how to supply that need, to supply that area, to build that muscle stronger. So perhaps an apostle might look at one church and see, look, for them, they haven't grown strong in the area of prayer, or they haven't grown strong in the area of the prophetic, or they haven't grown strong in the area of, of worshiping God the way he wants to be worshipped, the way we see in the scriptures. And then it is part of the ministry of the apostolic to supply what is lacking, to fill that, to meet that need so that we can be strong in every single area. Andrew, who leads our church, and serves as the leading apostle in 412, he loves to use an example where he talks about a young Arnold Schwarzenegger. And when he was young, he was from the country of Austria, and he quite quickly at a young age became the top bodybuilder in Austria, in his country. And if any of you have ever seen pictures of him, like when he was, let's say, 18, 19, 20, I mean, he looks nothing like he looks now. He was a monster of a man. And so at that time, he was already the top bodybuilder in his country. And he contacted this coach, who was a well-known, famous coach. And he wanted to ask this coach, would you train me to become the best bodybuilder in the world? And so this coach came and met him, and he did all his flexes and showed off all his muscles and double muscles and triple muscles and <laughs> muscles you don't know about. And, <laughs> and the coach said to him, take off your pants. 
and caught him a bit by surprise probably. But he was hiding the fact by wearing long trousers that he had barely worked on his lower body. So his upper body was absolutely ripped and it was good enough that he was quite easily the top bodybuilder in Austria, but he hadn't worked on his legs. And the coach said to him, if you want me to work with you, you're going to have to let me focus on your legs or else I will not do it. Because you will not become the top bodybuilder in the world if you only focus on what you're already good at, which is your upper body. You have to learn to develop your lower body as well. And it's the same thing for us in the church. We want to be a church that has actually exercised every muscle. We know the church is commonly called the body of Christ. We are the muscles in that body, and we want every muscle to be equipped to be strong, to be able to do everything that it is designed to do. And so it is a huge thing for us to say and to come when we get the opportunity to have the apostolic voice come in to say, teach us, help us to see maybe blind spots or things we missed so that we can grow areas in us that are weak, that need to be strengthened. And maybe we'll, I'll just add on that too, that is a particular benefit of partnering together cross-culturally. So for us this morning, we had the chance to go to Philippi, and we immediately just noticed, you know what, they have an incredible strength, as he highlighted, in persevering in prayer and worship that we could learn from them. Man, we are like, we do like one-minute prayers and we're done. You know, they can push on in prayer in a way that we don't have that muscle very strong. And likewise, there is gifts and strengths in us that can be used to equip one another so that all of us grow into the, all the health that God has for us. Then number four, the fourth way that apostles serve, in particular apostles that are asked by God to lead fields of churches, is they serve as master or expert builders. And we read this, Paul says himself that he served like an expert builder in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 to 11. He writes and he says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's buildings. We read that scripture before. By the grace God has given me, I, Paul, laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no foundation for no one can lay any foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. So an apostle serves as an expert builder. There's someone who's been in many ways uniquely graced to sort of have the blueprint for how God wants his church built. And the apostle is able to say, no, you know, that, I, I can see you're building a wall here, but that's not supposed to be a wall. That's supposed to be a bathroom. And we need that grace, we need that gift to help realign us, to shift us, so that we can build the household of God as he intends it to be. And so Paul was skilled to know how to build a healthy church. The fact is, many people, we can build our own thing, and it might even look great. But if it's not what God's asked us to do, when it gets tested, as that passage speaks about, I guess I don't know those verses up, but it says, everyone who builds on top of that foundation, their work will be tested. 
and it'll go through the flames. So all of us that build a church on top of the foundation that has been laid, our work is going to be tested. And we want to obviously build in such a way God's house that it'll be strong, that it'll stand the test. And a significant part of the apostolic ministry is to be those expert builders who will help us to see and identify areas of weakness in how we're building so that we can be strong. Yeah, and sometimes those things are just frankly hard for us to see because either we're in the church or it's just not the grace that's specifically on us. Mary, my wife, had a, has a picture she wanted to share just on how that works with the apostolic ministry. And do you want to share that? Yeah. God also did a journey with me on this topic. So um, God has been, I don't know, he works with me in pictures. And one of the pictures that he gave me to understand how this gift works was through the Rubik's Cube because, well, my kids are kind of slightly obsessed with it. So I get to see it a lot. So it's a lot in my mind. And one way that I that God showed me is, you know, a Rubik's Cube had six sides. And in the flesh, any one of us can only ever see six sides, uh, three sides of it. You can't see all six sides of them at the same time. If you try, it'll drive you crazy. Um, but, like, you know, like, obviously in God's image and God uh, has been giving this gift to the apostle, he, as a master builder, he doesn't need to see, like, my son doesn't need to see the other six sides of the cube, he knows exactly what's on the other side by only seeing three sides because he knows, and he knows exactly how to shift it without having to turn it around to make it the proper picture because he's learned the algorithms, he's learned the formulas. And, you know, in the spiritual sense, that's kind of what God does with, with the apostle as a master builder, giving them these unique tools to, you know, maybe they come to a church and the pastor can only see these three sides, but, but the apostle will know what's behind without having even seen it um, as a master builder. And in a, in a similar way that God has gifted apostles to serve as expert builders, like an expert builder in building the church, in the Old Testament, God gives Moses specific instructions about how he wants his tabernacle to be built. But as much as Moses knows what God wants built, Moses himself is not the one who goes and does the building. <laughs> yeah, think of the same, th same thing with Solomon and his temple. Solomon knew the temple the Lord wanted him to build for him, but Solomon wasn't taking a ship over to Lebanon to cut down the trees, okay? Solomon needed gifted and skilled lumberjacks who could chop down a tree, not too big, not too small, and bring it all the way from Lebanon to Jerusalem to build the temple. And it's the same thing in the household of God. Andrew has very much been called by God to lead our church. But Andrew needs lumberjacks. He needs guys who will go and chop down that tree, be faithful in it, and actually God gifts craftsmen in the building of his tabernacle and his temple. And I want to say to you, and I'm going to read that scripture in a second, but in the same way, God has gifted you. 
God has gifted you as a craftsman in the household of God to carry the anointing that God has on you and the ministry that God has for you. And the vision God has for his church cannot be built without you playing your part as the lumberjack, as the faithful craftsman to build his house. So Exodus chapter 31, I think this is my last scripture, verses 1 to 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezazel, son of Uri, and the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have anointed Olelab, son of Ashamach, from the tribe of Dan, to help him. And I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. And that's really what, where I want to land this thing. God has given ability to every one of the skilled workers to make everything that he had commanded, in that case Moses, in our case, that he has entrusted Andrew in the building of this church. Yeah, you know, Jesus has given us a mandate to go and to preach the gospel and make disciples in every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in order for, for that to happen... It needs every single one of us. And so I really want to land in this place of us hopefully realizing that the gift of the apostolic is not just some gift for some guy that we see once a year. It is a gift not just for every one of us to grow us and equip us, but it's a gift we need to come into. We need to play our part. We need to allow God's gift or, sorry, God's anointing on us and the skills he's given us to chop down the trees, to do the metalwork, to, to be the hands and feet to make this thing move. I love that passage in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul writes that I have promised you I'm, uh, uh, to one husband to Christ. And he says, I love you. I'm jealous with a love for you because I've promised you to one husband who is Christ. That is Andrew's heart who leads the church. And for the church to get there, every one of us has a role to play. Every one of us has a skill that God has put on you to chop down trees to build the household of the Lord. 